Father, we are here uh, for great reasons this morning. Palm Sunday, first and foremost, celebration of this body. Lord, we know what you're up to. We've already seen a lot of obstacles. I know there's more to, to be placed in front of us, but we don't, uh, we don't respond to what we see. We respond to what we know, and that is you're a great God, and you've told us what to do, and we're trusting you to get it done. So we praise you and love you. Um, thank you for this morning and this day and all those kids. Man, that was awesome. We just love you, Lord, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so, uh, you know, I was thinking about this last week. I, it was, it's been several years ago. Ashley and Andrea were still at home, and they, they were pretty young. And I think it was a Thursday night, but I know this much. I was in a groove. I mean, I was sleeping good, you know what I mean? I was in the middle of one of those great dreams. In fact, I just dreamed that Cincinnati Reds had asked me to play second base for them. They needed to turn their season around, and they do need to turn their season around. And I was so excited about it, and the fans were going crazy, and they asked me to sign a, a multi-million dollar 10-year contract, and uh, Angie was proud of me, and she was already on the phone with her travel agent uh, trying to put, buy a third, the northern third of Florida with my signing bonus money. And I mean, it was just going. It was just a great dream. And all of a sudden, in the middle of it, I hear, Dad! Dad, the light! It was Ashley. We kept the bathroom light on for the kids then because they were afraid of the dark, and it had burned out. Oh, she started screaming, and then Andrea woke up. She noticed it was dark, and she started screaming. I woke up. I'm looking all over the bedroom for my heart so I can put it back in my chest. And I bumped Angie, and she started screaming. And to be real honest with you, at this point, the most upsetting thing to me was that the Reds thing was just a dream, okay? <laughs> But you know what I did? As soon as I got myself together, I ran down the hallway and I flipped on all the lights, all the bedroom lights and everything, because I didn't like my babies to be afraid. Nobody likes that. And I'll tell you something else. I didn't get upset with, her, uh, with them at all for being afraid of the dark uh, when they were young. I was afraid of the dark when I was. I still don't like the dark too much, you know what I mean? Bedtime was not a happy time for me growing up. I don't know if it was for you or not. I'll tell you why. I had seven monsters lived in my bedroom closet. And I, I, only by the grace of God am I preaching today. I don't know how I lived. Now, I did go through a ritual every night to kind of save myself. The first thing I remember doing every night before I went to bed is I took off my airplane pajamas. I hated them. They had feet in them. Who buys their kids pajamas with feet in them? They were so hot, you know what I mean? So I took those off. And then the second thing I always did was I prayed and asked God to stay with me all night long because I'd learned that in Sunday school class. And then the last thing I did before I went to sleep is I always said the pledges of allegiance to the American flag. Because I figured if I did kick the bucket, no way God would send a patriotic kid to hell. You know what I mean? So I'm covering all the bases with this thing. Now, I didn't do all those things every night. But one thing I did do every night as I got ready for bed is I turned on my nightlight. Because once your eyes focus on the light, everything's okay. You get your eyes focused on the light, everything's okay. You know, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? This is Celebration Sunday at South Union Christian Church. We're on another big adventure together, another big one. And just like any other big adventure, there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. There's going to be times where we can't believe we get to do this, and there's going to be times where, how are we going to do this? So we got to stay focused. So we're celebrating today. Uh, we're celebrating that God answered our prayer. We fasted for two weeks and said, what do you want us to do? He made it about as clear as he's made anything since we've been here. Then we're celebrating today the commitments that uh, 129 families, is that what you guys said? But we're also celebrating, do you know, listen to this, 45% of the families in this church haven't made commitment yet. So we're looking forward to more celebration. You know what I'm talking about? Because we need that too. 
So we're celebrating that today, celebrating Palm Sunday today, and this is also Consecration Day at South Union Christian Church as we once again rededicate ourselves to the Lord and His service. Now, consecration sounds like a big deal. It's not. It's a big deal. It's not complicated. According to Zonerman Pictorial Bible Dictionary, consecration is an, is an act by which a person or a thing is dedicated to the service and the worship of God. Pretty simple. I love the way Mark Patterson puts this. He says it like this. Consecration is a complete surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We relinquish everything to God. Our time, our talent, our treasure. It's a complete divestiture. Nothing, you know what I meant by that. Nothing belongs to us. Even ourselves are gone. But I love this. He says the the exchange rate's unbelievable. All of our sin is transferred to Christ's account, and all of his righteousness is transferred to our account. God cancels our debt and calls it even. Isn't that good? The word consecrate, he says, means to be set apart. It means to be designated for a special purpose, to be completely dedicated to God, exactly what we're doing as a church. And if we're going to get that done, we've got to stay focused on the light. I want to share with you from Psalm 73 this morning. I'm going to ask you to pull it up on your phone or pull out a blue Bible. By the way, as always, those are yours. If you need them, if you know somebody needs a Bible, take it to them. That's why they're there. Because it's not going to be on the screen. I'm going to be reading a lot this morning. This is a story. This psalmist in Psalm 73 has got a bad attitude, okay? And the reason he has a bad attitude is he's lost his focus. We do not want to lose our focus. If we lose our focus through this big adventure, we're going to get discouraged and we're going to get down and all those kind of things. So I think we can learn from him through this thing. Now, the psalmist, the writer of this, it was written by somebody just like you and I who was having a problem. And the problem he was having right now is this. He was pretty sure life was ripping him off. Look at verse 2 and 3. As for me, he said, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. And here's why. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In other words, there was a lot of bad people running around, and they had things really well, and things weren't working real good for him. And he he was kind of confused by that. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong, verse 4. So these are spandex-wearing, abs-flattened, jaguar-driving, liposuction, beautiful people. In verse 5, they're free from the burden common to men. They're not plagued by human ills. Translated, they got plenty of money, too. These are people that cashed out when the stock market hit 26000 and they got in when it was way down here. These are people that bought gold years ago, and they bought lots of it at $200 an ounce. They got lots of money. They go anywhere they want to. They're living the good life. Bad people living the good life, and he doesn't like it. Verse 6, therefore pride is their necklace. Verse 9, their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. He's saying these people are so arrogant. How arrogant are they? They're so arrogant, they think when the president walks in the room, uh, he ought to stand up for them. I mean, this is nasty stuff. Verse 10, therefore, all the people turn to them and listen to their words. So not only are they doing really well, but all the people around them are getting sucked in. All the people around them are looking up to them like they're role models because they got stuff and they got status and they got power. And they're looking right through all their deep... Does this sound familiar? It gets worse. Verse 11. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? I mean, are you kidding me? Now they're openly mocking God. So not only are these people doing well, making fun of God, God's not doing anything about it. Surely in vain I've kept my heart 
in vain I've washed my hands in innocence, verse 13. He's saying, it's bad enough these, good, these bad guys are doing well, but what about me? I mean, I've done pretty well. And you know what I've got out of it? Nothing. I've tried my best to live a good life. And you know what I got from my trouble? A half a bottle of jack squat. That's what I got. I mean, I don't get it. I'm pretty moral. You know, I pay my taxes. I don't cheat on my expense account. I go to church. I read the Bible. I stay away from gross sins. I filled out a commitment card for the new building program. What am I getting out of this? Nothing. What's in it for me? Nothing. He's confused. He's upset. He's angry. He's looking around. Nothing looks right to him. And then you get to verse 17. This is so good. I was confused and angry and frustrated until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I saw the whole picture. I didn't get it. It was hard on me to figure this out until I entered into worship and then all my outlook turned a corner. Then I took the focus off myself and my program and my problem and my desire and my agenda and my comparison and my petty jealousy and my preoccupation and I put my focus back on God and I bowed down and began to worship Him and I want to tell you something, nothing changed but everything changed when I worked into service and worship to God. Family, this is Celebration Sunday. This is Palm Sunday. This is a Sunday to rededicate and reconsecrate ourselves to the service of God. And the psalmist says, if you will do that with the focus of your heart and mind in worship to God, everything will be okay. Things get sane again. <laughs> Things get real again. Verse 23, God, I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, whatever this life held for me each brief moment, then you'll take me into glory. Verse 18, I saw that human beings apart from you are the ones who have been placed on slippery ground. In other words, it's the people out there without Jesus that are on rough ground. Because without the Lord, there's no celebration. There's no service. There's no consecration. There's no dedication. There's no celebration. Without the Lord, all the problems in life out there, and there's a bunch of them, you try to walk through those without the Lord, that's slippery ground, he says. The psalmist says, I wasn't seeing clearly until I started to worship. <laughs> and then I got my perspective back. Things looked confused and crazy to me and looked like they were out of bounds and things were wrong until I started to worship. And then everything became clear to me. We need worship, church. We need to stay focused on the light if we're going to get through this. I always loved the letter of the little gal. She was in college, and I think it was her sophomore year anyway. She wrote home a letter to her mom and dad. She said, Dear Mom and Dad, I got a lot to tell you. First of all, because of the fire in my dorm room, which was called by, caused by student riots, I got some kind of lung infection. I had to go to the hospital. But don't worry, everything's okay. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly. His name is Jim, and we've moved in together. I got to tell you, though, I quit college when I found out I was pregnant. Jim just lost his job last week because he's drinking too much, so we're going to move to Alaska and, and probably going to get married when the baby comes. Signed, your loving daughter. P.S. None of that happened, but I did fail a chemistry test last week, and I want you to keep everything in perspective. <laughs> Let's keep things in perspective, man. We've come today to worship God on Palm Sunday, and we came to worship our God this morning because He's worthy of our worship and not to get anything out of Him or each other. Amen? 
We came to worship God. But here's how good God is. When you come to worship Him the way the psalmist says, in His sanctuary, with everything you've got focusing on Him, we get all kinds of things out of that. When you worship God, you get a grateful heart. You start thinking about all the things he's given you up to this point, all the things he's worked out. Richie and I were just talking about that. Look at the past, what he's done with this church. You start thinking about those things. When you worship God, you get this attitude that all things are possible with him. Even building a new building on free property is possible with God. You get that when you're worshiping. When you're worshiping God, you start focusing on the people around you. You get to focus off yourself. You cannot be arrogant and worship God at the same time. It doesn't work. So many good things happen when we worship like we're supposed to. On the other hand, when we don't worship, when we sit on our hands on Sunday morning and let the worship team do it for us, bad things happen. We get a bad attitude like our psalmist guy here. We become anxious about tomorrow. We start thinking about, how are we going to do this, man? How are we, gonna? we didn't get near enough money. Our goal was $2 million. How are we going to pull that off? When you're not worshiping, you start to envy people who have things and other churches that have things you don't. You start to get this sense of entitlement that's just destroying a grateful attitude on every level. We become negative and judgmental towards other people. Bad things happen when we don't worship. We need to worship. In fact, you and I were created to worship. We need to worship like we need to breathe. And I promise you will worship something. Now, if you're not really sure what you worship, we talk about this all the time at South Union. Just go home and check your bank statement and your calendar. Because the places you're spending your most time and your most money, aha, that's what you're worshiping right now. Turns out it's a whole lot more than just singing four songs on Sunday morning at church. It's a way of life. It's getting up tomorrow morning, having breakfast with the Lord, and taking a shower with the Lord, and driving to work with the Lord, and doing good work with the Lord, and laughing with your friends with the Lord, and looking at the sunset on the way home, and playing with your family. What happens when we worship is we direct our minds and our hearts back towards God and it becomes all about Him. We can't get enough of Him. And sure, we use our voices, but we use our minds and our hearts and our bodies and our souls, and it becomes all that we are. And we redirect and refocus, and we look at the light, and everything becomes okay. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to do it together in just a couple of minutes. There's a couple of things we need to remember as we do. Number one, we want to keep our focus in worship. Sounds simple. Sounds it's simple. It's hard to do, and you all know what I'm talking about. I've, I've used this quote many times. I stole it from John Ortberg, but Carrie, you'll know immediately he stole it from Dallas Willard. I love this. Dallas Willard writes, anybody who wants to follow God, this is your first task, to come to truly love and constantly delight in the Heavenly Father made real to us on Jesus and then become quite certain that there's no catch. There's no limit to his good intentions towards you or to his power to carry him out. Isn't that good? Become quite certain there's no catch in this, and there's no limit to God's good intentions towards you or to his power to carry him out. And I'm telling you, if we're going to worship God with that kind of focus, we've got to be clear about our intentions, don't we? That's why we work on this every Sunday morning, so we can train now and do it all week long. That's why Lori and the praise team work so hard to do this every week. Because let's be honest, it's tough to do that even in here. Be honest with me. Does your mind ever wander when we're doing worship? We're singing all three songs. Your mind ever wander what you're going to be doing next? Does your mind ever wander when I'm preaching? How many of you missed that last question? You know what I'm saying? You see what I'm talking about? That's what I mean, man. Let's just be honest. Sometimes if we're not careful, we just come in here and we get in the habit of church. 
And when that happens, we just get preoccupied and we get bored and we start doodling and we start working on our, on our grocery list and we start, uh, you know, thinking about what, what we're going to do after church and, and, and it becomes a habit for us to come in here and we're just going through the motions or it becomes force. Well, it comes a lot of things, but it, it, it's not focused. Habits are bad things. Frank Clark says, we have so many habits because you do things without thinking about them. That's why people like Crawdad and Melvin have so many. They're mindless. You know what I mean? They just do things. Now, Melvin, I will tell you this. Melvin did tell me that this past year, his New Year's resolution, he was going to quit all his bad habits. He said, seriously, I'm going to do that. And then he said, then I got to thinking about it. Nobody likes a quitter. So he just gave up on the whole thing. Listen to me. Uh, just, we cannot afford to go on autopilot on worship service on Sunday mornings. I know it's easy to do. You stay up too late on Saturday night. That's another thing. Go to bed early. Come in here ready to worship. So they're not putting on a show up here. We're worshiping God together. Every moment in this service is an opportunity for our minds to get focused back on God when they're taking up the offering. It's a chance for us to say, you know what? God is so good to me. All good things come from me. Lord, you are the most generous being in the universe. I want to be just like you. Watch this. When we're having prayer, this is not a time for me to come out on stage and get out on my knees and put on a show. We, we've learned better than that. This is community prayer. This church prays together. And if you've forgotten what that looks like, look it up in the book of Revelation because when the bowl of the saints, which is the prayers of the saints, gets full, that's when the angel dumps it. And when he dumps it, there's thunder and peals of lightning and things happen down here. We pray together as a church. church. So, when somebody, so when somebody's praying, whether it's Jake or me or anybody else that's up here praying, you do whatever you've got to do to stay engaged. Say amen. Say may it be so. Raise your hands. Whatever you're going to do. Phil Amendola. I loved him. He was at the Life Church for years. And when you pray with that guy, it doesn't matter if there's 5, 10, or 20. You can always hear him in the corner, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The whole time you're praying, he's engaged. Whatever it takes for you to stay engaged when we're praying. This church is a house of prayer, and we pray together. It's powerful. When we hug each other, it's part of our worship. When, when you hug on somebody during the hug and howdy time that we have every week, when you look at that person, just be reminded, they, love, they are loved by God greatly. And he's blessed them, and now it's your chance to bless them, bless them too. We worship God together with our minds in here. That trains us to be able to do it out there. And we can say with the psalmist, Psalm 16, 8, I set the Lord continually before me, which is number two. We don't want to just worship in here on Sunday. We're training ourselves to be able to worship and stay focused through this whole thing all throughout the week so that we can continually set our minds on the Lord. Not if you're a typical human being, you won't. Not if you're like me, you won't. That's why I talk to you all the time about how my watch goes. 37 years I've been in ministry, and I still have to set my watch every hour. I still have to think of creative ways to stay tuned in, because if you don't, man, you'll lose your focus so quickly. There's a book out called uh, 10,000 Things God For. you got to look that up and get it. That'll keep you focused. Here's just a sample from it. Friends, the Bible... Loved ones who finally come to know God, seedless grapes, watermelon, honest auto mechanics. I don't even know if you can find one of those. A parking space when you need one, remembering where you parked, forgiveness, hope, gentle dentists, sins you didn't commit, those who fund AIDS research, animals that call to their mates, preachers who can say what they want to say in 20 minutes or less, congregations who love it when preachers speak 30, 40, 50 minutes. It's not in the book, but it should be. Hope, 
home, enough time, kids, grandkids. I mean, you get the picture. Every moment, every moment is a chance to worship God because He's full of goodness. Every moment we turn our minds to Him so that we can be quite certain there's no limit to His good intentions to every one of us in here or to His power to carry Him out. Wouldn't you love to go through life saturated with a mind like that? Through this adventure saturated with that? You can. Get your mind engaged. Stay in the Bible. I mean, worship's a great thing. Emotion's a wonderful thing, but you've got to keep your mind engaged too. I call that worship junkie. Campground religion. You remember, did anybody go to church camp? Raise your hand if you went to church camp. Now, we, we did a lot of retreats when I was a kid, and we called them Jesus feasts. And the last night of church camp or Jesus feast, we'd get around a campfire, and we'd sing Kumbaya and praises to God. I mean, crying, you know. If the devil showed up on the last night of camp, we'd have whooped him right there. But then you go back to church Sunday morning, and we had one guy that led singing like this every week. Now, turn to him 299. You know, you're thinking, God, take me back to camp. You know what I mean? Listen, emotion's good, but you can't live on it. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, you're to love the Lord God with all your heart, but also your mind and your soul. And Mark would later add your strength. We put the whole package together. We regain our focus. We reconsecrate. We rededicate. We recommit our money and our talent and everything. And all of a sudden, everything is sane again. Everything is good again. Everything is again. All kinds of things happen. For example, you begin to love God with your actions. This is my last story, and then we'll, we'll pray together. Remember in 2 Samuel chapter 6, around verse 14, when David got so fired up, so full of celebration, that the Bible says he danced with all his might before the Lord. Remember that? King David, a, da- a dancing king. His wife was so ticked off with him because she said he was making a fool of himself. But did you read the rest of that story? The Bible says God loved it. And I want to ask you, family, I love you to pieces. And I sit up front, so I don't know, but I hear things. I'm asking you straight up, when's the last time you danced before God? I want to know. We have a lot of churches full of people who are interested in getting all kinds of information about God. They want to get their masters. They want to get their doctors. They want to study. They want to get all the Bible they can. But these people sometimes are so moved that they're never moved enough to be moved. You know what I mean? I grew up in a church like that. I loved those people, godly people, dedicated people, but never expressed it, and I never got that. I've told you before, several times as a kid, I remember sitting on the front row with my family, singing, stand up, stand up for Jesus, sitting down, all four verses, and I remember thinking, nobody thought that was strange. What's wrong with this? When's the last time you stood up? When's the last time you danced? God's saying, I want some of that. Maybe you need to ask him, Lord, I don't want to just praise you with my mind. I want to praise you with my mind. He'll help you. We sing songs all the time up here that talk about bowing on our knees. And I used to feel uncomfortable. I used to think, oh, they think I'm just showing off up here. I don't care anymore. If I'm going to bow to Christ in song, I'm bowing on my knees. When's the last time you did that? I don't want to get carried away, ma'am. I'm telling you, our, our people, our society are just so wrapped up in so many crazy things. We celebrate some... I got to go to the Masters this week. Most of you know that. All I got was a practice round, but I'm telling you, wow, it was amazing. But we watch these people practice, thousands of us, like ants, walking around watching these pros practice. I mean, they're dropping two or three balls. They're putting from every place. And still, 
somebody would hit a 15 or 20 foot practice putt and thousands of people are screaming ah, over a golf, a practice round of golf. What's the matter with us? I saw a thing on ESPN not too long ago uh, about Barry Bonds hitting his 700 home run. Did anybody see that? It showed what happened in the stadium. It exploded. He's running around doing one of these things to heaven, and people are cheering and screaming. I don't want to get carried away, but when's the last time you did that for God? This is Palm Sunday. Are we really going to sit like this during worship this morning? This is Celebration Sunday. Not today. Not today. In just a minute, they're going to play the happy dance song. Now, we've done that twice here. I'm going to ask you something. I'm asking you as your brother, not as your pastor. I'm asking you this morning to get out of your comfort zone and dance before the Lord. Forget about who's around you. You dance up here to this altar this morning. You clap on your way up here. You lift up your hands and say, Lord, I'm taking this broken body and this shed blood right over here, and I'm going to talk and sing and dance to you. You can take your time coming up here, but you come dancing this morning.